Humility. We've been talking about humility. Last week we talked about this, this idea of humility. And, and it's one of those things that, that we love to see in others, but, but it can be a real challenge in our own lives. I, I love it. I love it when I'm driving and you know you're, you're getting onto the interstate and, and you, you, you're in a merge lane. So it's either merge or at some point, you know, careen into the, the shoulder. And so you're speeding up. And I love it when the person to my left just says, come on in. Just come on in, buddy. And I get to merge without any sort of pain or frustration or speeding up or slowing down. But when I'm in the lane and people are trying to merge, it, sometimes I just turn into NASCAR Eddie. And, and I don't know why. You know, I think this is a thing primarily with men, but there's this sense that this is now my lane. And, and you're not allowed in my lane. You can speed up and slow down, but I'm not moving. I'm being honest. Is that okay? I recognize this is not behavior that's becoming of a, of a Christian, let alone a pastor, but, but these inclinations do exist in me. I also appreciate it when I, when I say something dumb or I'm in a social setting and I make a mistake or I'm, I'm hurtful. Or, uh, people just, they kind of give me grace. Have you ever had that experience? You're at a party and, and you say something and you realize that was really uh, bad. It landed poorly. I didn't mean it the way it clearly sounded. Somewhere between my brain and the outside world, some goblins took over and it turned into something terrible. But the people around just smile and nod and they, they quickly move on. I love that. But if someone says something or does something hurtful to me, uh, there's something inside me that can, can rise up and demand justice in the moment. I deserve to be treated better than I was just now treated. Um, I'm so inspired by the guy who can, or the gal who can get the PhD and, and write the books and, and, and do all of these things, accomplish so many things, and yet be approachable and talk to you and look at you in the eyes and not act like they're so much smarter or more well-accomplished than, than, than you are. But when I excel in an area, my soul longs to be recognized. You know, I did it. Can you see? That's what my soul says. Look at me. I'm awesome. Even though I'm just like, yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal, you know. Got a C plus. <laughs> Humility is hard. It's, it's hard, and yet it's essential in the Christian life. In, in both James chapter 4, verse 4, and then in, in 1 Peter, they both quote out of the Old Testament, and they're talking about the Christian life, and they, I'll, I'll read out of James 4, but you can go there in 1 Peter 5, 5 as well. Um, he says, nope, that's not right. I'll go to 1 Peter, because I don't know where it is in James 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, uh, clothe, your, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's, that's one of those things that you might see on a t-shirt or, you know, you go to, uh, you go to home, not home goods. What's the place? Hobby Lobby. That's the one. Home goods might not. Hobby Lobby will have the verses. And it'll, you know, Clothe yourself in humility. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we hear that. But, but Paul, Peter is, is making a point that God opposes the proud. And I don't know about you, but I'm a proud person. And I don't want to be on that end. I don't want to be on the receiving end of God's opposition. 
I want, I want all the grace that God is willing to give me, and so I want to look at what it looks like to be humble. We need to know how to grow in humility. So would you stand with me as we read together? We're going to read out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We, we covered this last week, but we're going to read it again. We're going to cover the second portion. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us both an example in Jesus Christ and the literal way in and through Jesus Christ. God, we recognize that we are people in need of your grace. And at the same time, I pray that you would give me, your servant, and, and everyone in this room a sensitivity to the areas where uh, humility needs to be brought to bear. Places where you want us to see things as you see them. God, would you bring clarifying eyes? And at the same time, would you encourage us that when we bow our knee to you and humble ourselves before you and treat others better than ourselves, that it is something that, that brings delight and joy to you. And Lord, we desire the grace that you give to the humble. God, we thank you that you you exalt those who humble themselves. Would you be with us, Holy Spirit, and minister through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In the Christian life, if there's a question, the, the answer is often Jesus. How, how, can I, how can I get over this issue of sin? Jesus. How can I be considered clean and righteous despite my, my checkered past? Jesus, how can I make it through tomorrow when I, I have all of these obstacles and challenges and pain and baggage? Jesus. In this passage, we can ask the question, how can I become more humble? And the answer is Jesus. We're going to see that Jesus is our example and our Savior. In verse 5, we're going to talk about how Jesus is our example and our Savior. Then we're going to look at what his, his 
humility looks like. In verses 6 through 8, we'll see his radical humility, Jesus' radical humility. And then verses 9 through 11, we're going to look at God's radical response. When it comes to humility, Jesus is both our example and our Savior. It says in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, he has just got done talking about what we should be looking like. We talked about, in verses 1 through 4, our own humility. And he goes on and he says, you know, if you've, if you've I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, if you've benefited from the gospel, verse 1, then he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Selfish ambition. Okay. This is a different version of the ESV. I apologize for when we read that. I thought there might be a difference. Anyways, they're the same in the Greek, I promise. Um, Do nothing from uh, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then verse 4, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So those are the verses where he's saying, live in unity, and how are we to live in unity, but through humility. And so here in verse 5, he begins and he says, Jesus is our example so that we can, what, have this mind, this mind of humility that he just talked about. Have this mind among you, a unified mind, a humble mind. They ought to have this way of thinking. And he's talking to this group. And I just want to just take a quick moment and say that, that this whole conversation about humility is a community project. Uh, This is not just something that that we do individually. He doesn't just call this Christian or that Christian to to walk humbly, but he encourages them all to pursue it. When When we pursue humility together, we multiply the impact that our humility can make. It's it's like fixing a car. If if I've got to change the, the, the brakes on a car, I can do it by myself, but man, it's really helpful when there's two people. Uh, the other day my, my father-in-law was putting on a, a hitch. Uh, a bike hitch and, and putting it together and, and there was this big piece that was part of the hitch that you had to hold in place and screw together and you had to kind of keep the, the bolt in and then screw the nut in and you had to do that all and you basically needed three arms. So to do it as one person, I suppose you could kind of get on your knee, lay it on your, head, your, your arm and kind of hope for the best, you know, pray and try not to get too upset. But all of a sudden with with one extra set of hands, it was an easy task. The, the, the number of people participating in the activity multiplied the effectiveness. And that's true of humility. It, it's great that, that I want to be humble, but if we can all be humble together, it, it begins to create this environment where humility more easily grows up. One humble person is inspiring, but a group of humble people can change the world. So if you're listening to this, then Paul is addressing you, not your spouse, not your neighbor, you. He goes on. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this kind of humility is, is that you're pursuing is it's in Christ Jesus. What Paul's getting at, it's really got two kind of angles and if, and if you read any commentaries, you find out that, that com- commentators actually wrestle with the specific way that, that, that Paul is getting at this. But I think that there's a multiple 
components, I'll put it that way. Uh, as we'll see in a moment, Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. I don't think that surprises anyone. If there's anything that's good, then Jesus is the perfect example, right? Kindness, love, patience, justice, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Right? This, that's why we're called Christians. Because <laughs> he's kind of a big deal in our, in our faith. He's the perfect example. But he's not only the perfect example as though, you know, I'm taking my test and he's over there taking his test and I'm just watching to see how he does it and then I'm left to my own devices to try and do that. Because you and I are united by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, we participate in Christ's humility. Let me, let me say that again. You and I, by, by virtue of being saved, we don't just get, get, a, get out of hell free card. We get to participate in the life of God. Which means that, that there's, when I try to step out in faith to be humble, the Holy Spirit is there kind of leaving, uh, taking me forward. And the efforts that I would have made on my own are now being empowered by him. And I'm making more progress than I would have had I done so on my own. What this means is that you and I, we don't get to boast when we do good things because it's God who's at work in us both to will and to work, as, as Paul will say. But, but we don't get the boasting, but we get the power. You know, if I came here and I, I showed up in, uh, in this a huge truck with, with you know, it, it's raised and it's got gigantic tires and, and I kind of drove around, I couldn't jump out of the truck and say, look at what I did. It's really, look at what the truck did. And that's what it means to be humble in Christ Jesus. It's never, look at how humble I am. No, it's, look at what God is doing by the power of his Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ in me. I, I want to say that because sometimes when we're pursuing these virtues, I want to be like Jesus. We try to do it in our own flesh, in our own sense of, I got I to gotta make this happen. Almost as though we are trying to re-earn God's favor. As though we're trying to please God and say, God, I want you to see that I'm good enough. We're not. Even as Christians, you and I, we're not good enough. But God is. And he connects with us and he empowers us. He doesn't empower us to, to fly. That'd be awesome. Or to, you know... Be bulletproof, that'd be great. No, but he empowers us to be kind when we're hurt, to be patient when we're wronged, to be forgiving when someone hurts us. God is at work. So he says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ. This is something that God has purchased. He doesn't just purchase your forgiveness. He purchases a new way of thinking. And when we, begin to, when we begin to consider how radical his humility is, it gives us strength to pursue humility in our own lives. So let's look at what his humility looks like. Verses 6 through 8. He says in verse 5, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is a lot. There's a lot of theology happening here. He says, who though he was in the form of God, and what Paul is saying is that Jesus 
is God. Don't be thrown by the, the word form. That, that just has to do with his essence, his personhood, his, or not his personhood, his, his being, who he is. He's God. So even though he is God, he did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped. Older translations uh, talk about robbery, and that can throw us off. We're like, I don't, why is Jesus, is he robbing something? I don't get it. The point that he's trying to make is that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He has all these privileges and power and glory. He has authority, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, beauty, honor. We could keep going. There are all these attributes of God that make him God that Jesus has and had before the foundations of the world. That make him awesome and glorious and amazing. And it says that even though God, Jesus Christ, God was God... He didn't look at all those attributes and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go and do this redemptive historical thing. I'm not going to go to earth. I'm not going to become a human. I'm not going to become a servant. I'm not going to become part of my creation because I'm God. He doesn't take those things as, as an opportunity to avoid the, the redemptive work that God the Father has for him to do. He says, you know what? Even though he was in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, I need this. this is, I'm, I need to be, no, he says, I'm going to willingly go. And he says, but instead of doing that, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God, the God of the universe who existed before creation, who has authority and power over creation, decided to humbly enter his creation. And as a side note, here we're beginning to see what a, what a glimpse of, of humility is. You've got two options. There's God and then there's a servant. Right? What, is, what does Paul contrast with Jesus' form of God? He says that although Jesus was in the form of God, he dot, 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 took the form of what? A servant. You and I, we were made to be servants. I don't mean to, to state the obvious, but when you were born, you were not God. Now, in some ways, you were treated like pretty important. You know, you cry, you get whatever you want, and someone's carrying you around and doing whatever. But this is, that's because you were so dependent, not because you were so awesome. <laughs> Babies are awesome in a different way. But we are, we are born as, as servants. Part of, part of this task of learning to be humble is recognizing who God made us to be and who God did not make us to be. See, our problem, our, the humanity's core issue is not, man, if we could just have better education, if we could have just better health care, if we could just have better, uh, you know, a better economy or, or better race relationships or, or better um, equality. These are all issues that to be addressed, but the core issue with humanity can be summarized in our desire to rebel against God in order to become gods ourselves. Adam and Eve were given everything. You can have all the things, and he had one rule, don't eat from that tree over there. You can eat all these other trees, it's gonna be totally awesome, you're gonna have a great time looking at these cool animals. But they wanted to do the one thing they were not allowed to do. In other words, they wanted to step into the arena of deciding who does what 
But that arena was an arena of one. That was, that was God's arena. They wanted to become gods. And in the same way, we struggle with this. Am I God or am I a servant? Humility is not about thinking, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bad, I'm a, little, I'm a terrible person and, and being Eeyore like I talked about last week. Humility is recognizing who's God and who's not. I'm not God. But Jesus' humility goes further. <clears throat> he serves God the Father willingly. It says that he was made, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And what do we mean by servant being born in the likeness of men? And he goes on in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death. And then Paul says, even death on a cross. His point is, it's not just he died because that's what humans do. No, he died a horrible, criminal, shameful death on the cross. He died uh, like someone going to the electric chair for the worst of possible sins and, and, and crimes. People don't go... To, to, to see people die at the electric chair because they think that that person is awesome. They're treated with shame. And that is the death that he chose to die. The God of the universe takes on human nature as he, that he creates and willingly submits to death by people he created and is sustaining on a cross that is made of his creation in a world he is sustaining for people who are in desperate need of him. That's humility. You think, we, I wake up on a Monday and sometimes I think, man, someone needs to serve me. Someone, someone needs to bring me my coffee. I need to be served. I'm, I'm, and the God of the universe, he says, you know what? I don't need to be served. I'm going to become a human. But not only that. I'm, and if you look at his life, it, it's not as though he was born as Caesar. He was born a humble human in hum humble circumstances. He lives a humble life. He, his ministry is three years long and involves a lot of people leaving him. We think about Jesus and we think, oh man, he would have been, I don't think he would have been a, an amazing televangelist. There's a lot of people following him. He, he preached a lot of messages that people were like, nope. And they left. He preached messages and he said, oh, you guys want, you want more from me? Come eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they freaked out. Like, I'm not about that. No, know what that is. I wanted a sandwich. <laughs> he, he lives this humble life and his earthly ministry is, is humble. The shocking nature of the gospel is not just that God saves sinners who deserve punishment. That's, that's, not, that's kind of shocking. That God, who is glorious and holy and righteous and good and perfect, saves sinners who are evil and wicked and disobedient and rebellious. And I put myself in that category. You know, as good as we think ourselves are, we, we, are, we are because we're comparing ourselves to, to people who are worse. When we think about who God is, we're, we're not in a good spot. But that's not even the most shocking aspect of, of the gospel. What's shocking is that Jesus willingly submits himself, humbly sub submits himself to save prideful, rebellious people like me. Mike mentioned it in Ephesians 4. He says that while we were yet, well, no, that's in Romans. Romans, he says, while we were yet sinners, God, uh, Christ saved us. But, but Paul says in, in 
Ephesians 2, that even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even though we were walking and following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, happily following, say, I'm going to pursue my own destiny. I'm going to do, I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal to get what I want. Even though we do those things, God still chooses to save us. But that, that's not the end of the story. Now, this is where, where humility gets cool. I mean, not cool like, you know, Pablo on the guitar cool, but cool like something we can pursue. He goes on and he says, he says, therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, or at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's, what's interesting about Jesus' humility is that it was, uh, it was honored by his Father, and it was, I'll put it this way, his humiliation was temporary. I think that God still relates to us in a very humble way. You know, when you see, you, you know, you, you see some of these guys, you just jacked, and there's a couple in this room, and, and, you, and you see, like, a ki- uh, and, and one of these men come down and, and interact with a kid gently and kindly and patiently and, and humbly. That's how God still interacts with us. So in a sense, Jesus is, is still being humble to us, but in another sense, he is high and lifted up. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that he's been given the name that is above every name, not only in this age, but in the age to come, that he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Right? If there is a throne, he's got one that's higher. If there's a title, his is greater. I remember being on the blacktop with some friends we weren't even playing a cool game. I don't know how it devolved into this, but it turned into, like, I'm the boss. Okay, well, I'm the mayor or something like that. Well, I'm the president. Well, I'm the king. And, and we as humans can do that all day long, and God is from heaven. Jesus Christ is looking down and saying, I am what? King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he's lifted up. He's exalted. Part of what makes humility difficult for us is that we are concerned that we'll be treated as less than we ought for longer than we ought. Right? Our fear comes in and people won't recognize my greatness. People won't treat me with kindness that I deserve. And in saying that, we're saying that we deserve a certain kind of kindness. We deserve a certain kind of glory. We deserve a certain kind of recognition. It's an encouragement that even for Jesus, who bore the worst of all possible penalties, his end was glorious. Uh, Because of his humble obedience, God exalted him. And out of this this cosmic act of humility, he receives cosmic exaltation. Theologians talk about this this, uh, reverse arc, right? An arc goes up. This This is more of a dip. His life consists of of being born, uh, you know, his life on earth, being born and really doing this to the point of dying on the cross. Humiliation. Willful, willing humiliation. But he, he rises from the dead, he's exalted, he's, he's witnessed, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is exalted. And that is the same arc that we are invited to live in. 
See, you and I, we live lives of, of walking in humility and, and humiliation. And the older you are, I feel like the more you kind of get it. Like in my 20s, I thought, yeah, I know, Jesus is going to humble me, but I'm still going to be pretty awesome, right, Jesus? I'm not going to have a whole lot of problems, and people are going to love me, because look at me, I'm great. Get to your 30s, you're like, people don't, I don't, people are kind of mean, and I'm not that great. You get in your 40s and 50s, and you're like, man, I thought I would be fixed by now, and the problems that I had would be done. You know, I've been in the oven for a little while, but it feels like, are we done, Jesus? We're not done. We're not done. And, and, and I love interacting with, with older Christians who get to the point where they're just like, this is what you get. This is what you get. This is who I am. You know, that, the, the, the humility that says, yeah, I did that and it was wrong. You're right. And you're like, why are you so honest about your junk? And you're like, because that's all I can do. Like, I'm done faking it. But, but so many of them, they've come to this place of humiliation to rem- remember and realize, you know what? There's going to be an upside to this. There's going to be an upswing to this. And the Bible talks about it. He says that when, when we humble ourselves, God exalts us. And sometimes we're like, that's great. Can you go ahead and do that, Jesus? Let's get to the exal- exaltation. But, but if, if God the Father doesn't exalt the son until he dies and finishes his mission, we might not experience the full extent of that exaltation until, what, eternity. And I've quoted this before, but this is why Paul says in another place that, that this momentary affliction, and, and Paul's being a little playful when he says momentary. You know, he's, he's experienced beatings and jail and like momentary affliction is preparing me for this eternal weight of glory. This momentary 80 years until I die affliction is going to what prepare us for this, this upward trend. One of the things I love about, I don't know if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't, if you haven't and you're an adult, read them because it's awesome. I didn't grow up reading them, so I didn't have this whole like, oh, it's a kid's story. Like I saw, it's an allegory or multiple allegories and it's really good. Um, and it's, it's kind of food, it's a... Brain candy, it's not hard to read. And in the last, well, I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't. So, but you're an adult and you haven't read it, so that's your fault. Um, in the last book, <laughs> the kids, they, they go to heaven. And we won't say how they get there, but they go to heaven. And C.S. Lewis talks about them going onward and upward. And they're going up. But the higher up they go, the more hill there is. They're, they're going up. They're excited. They're going up. That's the Christian life. The problem is, family, sometimes we look at our life and we think of it just in terms of this portion right here, the ark that goes down. And we're like, that's real depressing. And, and, it, and it can be. And if that's where you are and you're, you're kind of like down here and you're like, I don't like this. I'm sorry. I have compassion for you. I, I, I think I know some of how that might feel. It's not good. I don't think Jesus was happy or excited when he was on the cross. I don't think he was like, guys, this is great. This is awesome. I think he was in pain. That's, that's the challenge with humility is that sometimes it's painful. But, but he, he casts a vision for us here and he says, man, when it came to Jesus and his, his humility, there was an upside. 
this glorious, amazing, wonderful upside. To the point that in, in Revelation, it says crazy stuff. And, and in the in New Testament, there, there's crazy stuff about how, like, we'll judge angels and, and we'll be seated with, with, with Jesus and we'll rule. And, like, what does that even look like? What is it going to... It's crazy. And, and you see that Jesus is this glorious warrior king with his white robe dipped in blood, with a sword coming out of his mouth and eyes of fire, right? If you saw that guy walk down the alley, you'd be running the other way. This is not, this is not humble, you know, meek Jesus with a, with, with, with a sheep on his shoulders, just kind of like saying, come on, guys, you know, let's... No, he is the winner. If anyone has a, a, a tongue that comes out and it's a sword, that guy won. I don't know what you guys are competing in, but he won. That's, that's what we're looking toward. And, and uh, side note, I, I could have gone into more detail. The, verses 6 through 11, commentators think that this was probably a, uh, a Christian hymn. And, and as we're talking about humility, you might be asking yourself, why does he even include that second part about God's exaltation? But, but I think part of it is that, is that Paul, in his, in his writing, he, he's writing and he's, he's saying, you know what, this, this hymn would be a helpful thing for, for me to kind of articulate this humility. And he goes on, but the, the last verse is always the best verse. And he says, I'm not going to stop here even though I'm talking about humility. There's a good side. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him every name that is above, sorry, the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gets swept up into the song. And he invites us to do the same. He invites us to do the same. When we talked at the beginning, when, when I, I, I posed the question, the question was, was uh, how can we become humble? And the, the answer was that it's hard. It's hard because I tend to have, and I'll speak for myself, I tend to have an exaggerated view of my own significance. Not you guys, but me. And an underdeveloped view of God's significance. In, in Luke, there's this crazy parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, uh, verse, starting in verse 9, it says this, Jesus is talking. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, for those who are keeping score, the Pharisees were this kind of self-righteous group that kind of, they'd memorized big portions of the Bible, they knew the law, they, 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 were, you, they were the pastor's pastor. You looked at them, you're like, mm, he's probably got it together, this guy. Tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors, were traitors to the Jewish people. They would collect money from the Jewish people and give it to Rome, who was their oppressor. They were really hated. There were sinners and then there were tax collectors. So these are the two people that walk into the church. The Pharisee, seeing the Pharisee uh, standing by himself, prayed thus: "God, I thank you that I am not like this other man, other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God." Be merciful to me, a sinner. I want you to think about this scenario. 
to think about what humility looks like. See, the Pharisee, he did exactly what we were talking about. He said, he, he made a list of individuals that he was quote-unquote better than. And lest we be like a Pharisee, I think that we're all like that, right? Can we just be honest? You don't have to... But that's what we do. You're like, at least I'm not Hitler. Well, no, maybe not. It's a pretty low bar. And the, and, and the tax collector, is, he can't even look up. He just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knows who God is. And he knows who he is. And even though his assessment of his own self-significance is not positive, it's accurate. And, I, and I, I would love to give you all a hug and say you're amazing and awesome. But part of what God does when we encounter scripture is we encounter truth about ourselves, myself included. And, and some of us, God wants to lovingly invite us into a sense of, a right sense of who we are. For us to not be so self-deluded, for us to be more open, for him to speak to us and say, you know what, this is an area that I want you to deal with. And, and again, I, I'm speaking as one who is, needs to receive the same sort of thing from God. We have the, the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee, and, and Jesus goes on and he says in verse 14, I tell you this, the man who went down to his house, this man, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house the justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, there's going to be a day, don't know what it is, the Bible says we specifically don't know what it is, if someone tells you this is when Jesus is coming back, they are a liar. But there's going to be a day where Jesus does come back. And on that day, God's people will know and see and recognize him. And in some sense, I'm not exactly sure what it will look like in the literal, but we will all do this. We're like, that's the guy. And, and in, in the same way that when the police come and, and they tell you to put your hands up, this is the, the position that you assume. It, it's a position of submission and willingness to, to listen to instructions. That's, that's the position that, that God's followers will take. There will be others who if not literally, at least figuratively, may be standing in defiance, whose knees will be broken. But by the end of the altercation, everyone will be doing this. Everyone will be doing this. The one who was justified was the one who had a right view of himself and of God. You and I, we can be humble, we can pursue humility because we've got a great example in Jesus Christ. Um, but, but if you're here and you're like, I know Jesus is a good example, but I still struggle to obey God. I still struggle to do what he says. I still struggle. I want to encourage you that you can be humble not only because Jesus shows us the way, but because Jesus is the way. Through his own humility, he saves us. He strengthens us. He gives us his spirit so much so that when Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, I know that what God has begun, he's going to bring to a completion. So if you're here in the middle and you're saying, I know that God wants me to be humble. I know there's some things that I need to make right in my life, but I just don't want to do it. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Like start there. 
God, I know that you want me to forgive this person, but I just don't want to do it. I know that's wrong, right? That's humility right there. That's being honest with who you are and where you are, and then let the power of God change your heart. Amen? We could keep going, but I'm not going to. Um, this is a good thing. It, it hurts sometimes in the moment, but, but there is a glorious other side of this ark that we're all going to participate in. And we get tastes of it every now and again, here and now. And my prayer is that, that those tastes would sustain us as we look forward to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is good and it's encouraging, but sometimes it is challenging. And God, for those in this room who are wrestling with their own hearts, with the, own, the, the things that they know that you've called them to do and the ways that you've called them to obey, but they're just, they're struggling with it. God, I pray that you would give them a vision of Jesus Christ who was so capable of obeying, whose will was so submitted to his Father. And I pray that by faith, those individuals who are wrestling would step out in faith to obey. And God, I pray that at the same time, you would help us all to know what it is to, to rightly assess our own significance, to remember that we are not saviors, but we are servants. I pray that you would save and help us, help me. And God, at the same time, give us a vision for what, what your exaltation will look like. Give us a vision for what, what we're fighting for. Something that draws us into eternity with strength and gives us strength in our knees and enables us to obey now. Work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.